Okay. Um, turn with me to um, 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 4. What I want to do is look at um, over the next however many weeks, and we'll see how it goes, but I want to uh, look at some different um, topics here and just basic stuff. I'm, I'm what I'm going to what I'm going to call Christianity 101, okay? <laughs> so um, we're going to start with that tonight and, uh, and just take some different topics over the weeks. Um, so I want to start here and actually be looking at some different passages, but uh, starting with 1 Peter 4. 1 Peter 4. <coughs> Let's pray again. Father, again, we thank you for gathering us here, and Lord, as always, we're looking to you now, asking that you uh, aid us here, grant ability, Lord, that we may be able to understand your truth and use it to change our hearts and bring us um, further and further into conformity with you and your will. May it be for your glory, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, um, what, what is it? What is it that should drive us um, as, as Christians? Or another way maybe to say it is this, what is, what is the goal of the Christian life? What is it that moves us, that, that motivates us, or, or that should be our, our motivator in all that we, all that we do? You know, there, there are common threads, of course, you know, things that, that um, um, well, we're, 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 we're here to do something, and we're going somewhere, we're headed somewhere, and we're doing, we're doing uh, in one sense, um, a, a sort of service, right? So, so what are we here for? What are we, what are we doing in that, in that regard? What is, what is it that, we, that is our goal, our ultimate goal? There are a lot of goals you can think about uh, for the Christian life. You know, you think, for example, about um, whatever is part of sanctification. You know, we want to we grow. We want to mature as Christians, and so there are a lot of, lot of things that, that come into play there. Um, we think about things like evangelism, which I hope to, uh, you know, we'll talk about again over the next few weeks at some point, but our mission work or whatever it is. There's all kinds of goals. Feeding the poor, you know, maybe something like that. you got situations like right now in the Philippines, you know, we want to help. And, and um, in fact, I meant to mention that before we prayed, but, uh, but be praying for those folks there. I, I keep hearing in the in the reports that this is the worst storm ever in, in recorded history uh, to make landfall. I mean, they've had storms this big and bad before, but they're always out to sea. Um, this one made landfall, so um, they don't even know yet how many people are dead uh, in the Philippines. And uh, and and by the way, I have the address. I'll, I'll throw that out too, Ronald, while I've got it uh, in the front of my brain here. Um, so, so we, we're going to try to, as a church, get together an offering and, and um, probably get that. Um, I'm just letting you know now because we'll probably take it up Sunday because um, I've got the, the address that uh, Steve Deal's uh, foundation, and I think we'll just go through that. Probably be the, probably be the best thing. Uh, so uh, he's at. Yeah. Okay. Um, 
tackle band, yeah, tack tackle band or whatever it is. Yeah, tackle band. They were saying is a, is a was a big city. You know, it, it took a hard hit, hard hit. Okay. So anyway, I, we've got you know we'll be forwarding some some uh, some funds to Steve Deal for that. He's probably uh, I'm sure probably working now in, in in the middle of all that. All right. So there's all kinds of things you know as Christians you want to do help help people, um, feed the poor and so on. But there's always one ultimate goal that we're looking at, and uh, that is to glorify the Lord. Those, uh, the other things, you know, are just um, ways that that plays out. So I wanted to, to look, uh, in fact, we'll start here, and then, and then if we don't run out of time, Lord willing, we'll go through some other verses as well. But um, here in 1 Peter 4, with an exhortation from, from Peter, in, uh, in this epistle, um, in verse 7. Exhortation for Christian living. Verse 7. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each, has, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace, or that can be multifaceted grace. Um, whoever, verse 11, whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To Him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. So, first of all, just notice how when, when Peter gives this end-time exhortation, I mean, he says the, the end of all things is at hand. Note, notice where he goes with this. It's not what you lot, a lot of times see in the the media, <laughs> when when people are saying the end is at hand, uh, um, you know they head for the hills or or something to that effect. You know, take take to the mountains, get to high ground, or you know, uh, as far as the world's concerned, it, it may be just um, throw a party. I, I remember you know hearing these stories about uh, Hurricane Camille back in the '60s when it hit uh, Mississippi, and one reason uh, there was so much uh, so many so much loss of life and so forth, so many casualties is because people didn't take it seriously. But a big thing was, you know, hurricane parties. People would have hurricane parties and just it was just an excuse to get together and party because uh, they, they thought it was the end. Well, it, I mean, you know, jokingly, but, but it was the end for some of them because it was a bad, bad hurricane. Um, so anyway, people get all kinds of ideas, you know, bucket list, all that stuff. But notice what Peter does is start talking about um, relationships. I mean, I mean, in other words, what he's saying is here's how to be ready for the end is live it out. Live out the Christian life. Live for the glory of God. You, know, you don't have to run, run for the hills or anything like that. You don't have to sell all your possessions and go sit on a mountaintop. 
Peter says, just start loving one another and with, with fervent love. The end of all things is at hand, therefore, be self-controlled. So he says, exercise self-control, sober-mindedness, um, for the sake of your prayers. That's an interesting statement, and I think they're, um, what he has in view uh, is he's just, he's just finished exhorting husbands to love their wives. Let's see, this is back in chapter 3, um, in verse 7, chapter 3, verse 7. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. So, so he tells husbands, treat your wives right so that your prayers aren't hindered. So I, so I think that's the same idea he's conveying in chapter 4, verse 7, except now he's talking to everybody. He says, be self-controlled, be sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. And above all, verse 8, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. So, so um, somewhat like what Paul does in Corinthians where um, Paul makes love central um, as far as... Um, the life of the, the body, the Christian body. It's what Peter's saying here too. Above all, love one another earnestly. So not, you know, the idea is not half-hearted or something like that. Not, uh, I, can, I can remember as kids, you know, we would always say something like, if we, if we really didn't like somebody, I mean, we'd say, well, you know, um, we, we, it was something to the effect of we, we love you in the Lord or something like that, you know, I mean, <laughs> Kind of, like, kind of like, I don't really like you, but Jesus says to love you. So, I mean, so we love you in that way. I mean, <laughs> and Peter, Peter doesn't know nothing about that. He's talking about genuine love, true love. Love one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. And boy, that's a lot of practical application there. In other words, if you're loving somebody earnestly, then it's going to be much harder to hold their sins against them, the things that you dislike. And, and uh, um, I always come back to the Lord's example there. You know, I, I try. I, mean, I try to think about the way Christ treats us, you know, the way Christ treats his bride. And uh, it's always the, the response, you know, however stupid we are, and we often are, uh, I am, at least. Um, the response from Christ is love, right? Love. He he loves. I mean, you see that in the Gospels, the way Jesus deals with the disciples. You know, not that he never gets uh, never gets on them. He does uh, when he needs to. But but even but even that's in genuine love. He's he's always um, concerned with their well being and treating them in a way that's going to edify them and grow them and love them. And I keep saying them, but it's true of us too. That's the way he treats us. It's the way he, he does us. So he, that's what he's calling for us to do with others. In verse 9, show hospitality to one another <clears throat> without grumbling. Um, you know, in, in uh, one of the scriptures I was going to mention, 1 Corinthians 10.31, where Paul says, you, we, we quote this one a lot, Paul says, whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Well, Eating and drinking, and I was I was listening to somebody talk about this recently, and I can't, or either that or I read it, and I, I can't even remember who it was. I wish I wish I could, 
because I'd refer you to it. It was very good. <laughs> Unfortunately, it just didn't all stick in my brain. But uh, eating and drinking was a huge part of worship in the Old Testament. In, in, so in, in, in Hebrew life, you know, culture, tradition, as with other cultures as well. And you can see that, and it just had never, had never dawned on me before, but you, you see that when you walk through the law, for example. You're reading the law, and, and God is in various places commanding them to hold certain feasts um, and even come, you know, bring offerings before the Lord and, and eat and drink together and rejoice. And so it was a, a big part of, um, of, of covenant life and, and actually worship. So hospitality, you know, I think that's part of what's in, in view here. Um, uh, again, in fact, Paul explicitly says uh, eating and drinking in 1 Corinthians 10. But here Peter says, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. So not just, uh, not just doing the hospitality, but it's doing it in the, right, in the right way, in the right attitude. Another thing that they would do, and you, you see this in the Old Testament too, is, is uh, and, and we don't do this today for, in part for some good reasons, but, but you know, they would, like if you had travelers and, you, and they'd come through a town and, and, and uh, they need a place to stay, that was part of the hospitality. You know, they would put them up, put them up overnight or something like that. Strangers. Um, of course, that used to be a lot more common because you didn't have hotels everywhere and that kind of thing. Um, I even I, my, my grandfather, uh, whom I didn't know, he died in 1950. But uh, he, was, he, he, had, he was a postmaster in the little town that my grandmother grew up in. Um, and he had a little store, like a general store. And my mom told me, you know, she grew up during during the Depression, and she told me that she could remember uh, times where they'd all be asleep. This always reminds me of Jesus' parable, too, about the, the friend coming knocking on the door. But th- they would all be asleep. They'd be in bed asleep, and you'd hear somebody banging on the door. And, and she said he would get up, my grandpa would get up and go down. It'd be somebody wanting gas or something. You know, they're traveling, and they're, and they're in a bind. And she said he'd get up, go down, open up, pump gas for them, and, and send them on their way. You know? <laughs> it's hospitality. You don't see, uh, you probably get shot if you do that now. So if you run, you know, get low on gas, just pull over and sleep a while. Wait till daylight. But, or call the police or something. But that's what Peter's talking about, that kind of hospitality where you look out for one another and where you enjoy fellowship and so forth. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling, as each has received a gift. Now, here's where I'm going with this, because um, now Peter's kind of summing it up, because there are various ways that, that we can help one another and edify one another and serve one another. But we've all got some kind of gift or gifts, and uh, I know a lot of people will say quickly, I don't have any gifts. I've had people say that to me, but but you do. Everybody does. And Peter is saying there's a there's a goal when when we use them, when we exercise our gifting. Um, there's there's a goal that we have in view. So again, verse ten, he says, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another. Now that's that's important, extremely important. But it's again what I would penultimate i mean it's, just, it's secondary you know that's that's the the horizontal w- working out right there god gives us gifts 
for the purpose of serving one another. And the word that um, Peter uses there is where we get our word deacon, which just means just means to serve. It's not a not talking about an office or anything like that. It just means to serve. So he says whatever he's basically saying whatever gift you have, use it to serve. And notice he's already given examples like hospitality. So <clears throat> so we're not talking here about being a great orator or something like that, um, or you know uh, a great. Um, artist, writer, singer, something, something like that. A lot of times what things that people think about when they think about gifts. We're talking about everyday living here and God-given gifts that help us relate to one another for each other's edification so that we can help each other um, along the way here. We're all, we're all on, a, on a pilgrimage. We're all headed for, you know, it's like the Bunyan's, Children's Progress. We're all headed for the celestial city, and we're going through some hostile territory on the way. So God has gifted us in such a way that we can help each other out along the way. So again, verse 10, Peter says, As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace, or as I said earlier, multifaceted grace. And I think what the picture is there is God, just like in, again, like in uh, 1 Corinthians chapters 12 through 14, God gifts the church. Um, in other words, he doesn't, he doesn't just take this whole load of gifts and put it on one person. He spreads it out. He disperses the gifts. He gives, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12, as, as he wills. He dispenses the gifts as he wills. And so everybody's gifted. But there's... That's God's multifaceted grace at work. It's not just one, there's not, there's not just one gift given by which we are edified. And so, you know, we try to find that one person that's got that one gift and we can all be edified by. No, it's a whole variety of gifts that God dispenses throughout the church. It's kind of like in the, in the Garden of Eden, when God put, um, Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, you, you go back and you read the account there in Genesis, there's a whole variety of fruit, trees, and plants, whatever, that they were to eat from. I mean, he could have he given them, you know, one, he could have designed one fruit, said, here, <laughs> this is what you need to survive, eat that, whatever, an apple or whatever it is, or a banana, you know, something that has all of the vitamins we need. But instead, he, he, he gives a whole variety. In the same way with just the, the, the beauty, you know, just things to look at. He could have made one type of flower, one type of tree, something like that. But he didn't. He makes a whole variety of things so that when you and I walk out like on a beautiful day today, like today, well, we see all kinds of variety. If you drive across the country, you, you see even more. And it's all... It's it's all beautiful. I you know I, I, I we've taken trips out to Arizona and and uh, it really changes pretty drastically once you get beyond Fort Worth. It's amazing. <laughs> you get on the other side of Fort Worth and the landscape starts changing, but uh, quickly. But you know you keep going through New Mexico and Arizona. You a lot of changes, a lot of changes. And it's a lot different. There's nothing like here. You know what they call trees out there, we call bushes here. 
but, <laughs> but it's got its own kind of beauty. It's different. It's a lot of, um, uh, I mean, some, some of it in the city is not so beautiful. You know, Le Leslie always says Phoenix looks like a big ashtray um, because of the smog and everything. It's, it's a huge, you know, valley and, and, and a lot of smog. But it, it, there's a lot of beauty out there even. But it's a different kind than here. Uh, I had a, a friend at work one time. He had, he, had, he had lived all over. He'd spent a lot of time in South America uh, and doing mission work and stuff like that. But he, and I don't remember where he was right before he came here. But he said to me when we were eating lunch one day, um, he was just fascinated. He said this, uh, and, and he was a gar into gardening and all that kind of thing, so he, he knew how to grow stuff. But, but he, he said, it's so lush around here. This is amazing. And I just thought to myself, that's never even dawned on me before. <laughs> I never even thought of it as being lush here. That's probably not a word I would have used to describe Louisiana. But, but uh, he, he was amazed by it. All the, all the variety of things that just grow here. Of course, maybe he hasn't, you know, had to try to keep them off of the fence and stuff like that, I, like I have. But, uh, uh, his, his, you know, his perspective just kind of helped open my eyes to it a little bit. So I think that's what Peter's saying here when he says this varied grace or multifaceted grace. That's the way God's grace is. I mean, it's, it's, it, it just, there's all kinds of ways that God works and blesses. So he gives different gifts to accomplish those different uh, blessings, and he gives them to different people. And then Peter gives a couple more examples here because he's, he's telling us um, now where to go with it, how to, in other words, how to, how to do it, how to, how to operate in these gifts. Verse 11, he gives a couple of examples. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God. Let me tell you, I've, you know, I think about that verse from time to time. I mean, that's, that's a high standard. <laughs> that is a high standard. I mean, what if you just, or I just said, you know, I'm not going to speak anymore unless it's just, unless I'm just speaking to you as though God himself. I, in other words, I want to have, really have something to say that will be edifying for you. At, like a word from God. That's what Peter's saying. If you've, got, if you've got this gift of speaking, then use it, speak as though um, you were the very oracles of God. Paul in Ephesians, uh, similarly, you know, he, sa he says, we're not, not let any corrupt communication come out of our mouth, but only that which is good for the use of edification, uh, that which will minister grace to the hearers. So there's one example, speaking. That's, that's one of the gifts he's talking about. And a lot of people, um, you know, sometimes we say, oh, yeah, she, she's got the gift of gab, you know. Well, we're probably not meaning like the oracles of God. But, hey, speaking is a gift. It is. Not everybody, uh, those who have it, they think anybody can do it. You know, it's, oh, it's easy to talk. But not everybody can do that so well. And then... Whoever serves, again, there's that, that word just, just means literally to serve, like, like, like a um, uh, table waiter or something. I mean, that's literally. So you're, you're serving something. Whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. So he says if you speak, 
If that's your gift, speak as the oracles of God. Let, let God's grace throw, flow through your lips. Speak um, for the edification of the hearers, just to kind of mix Paul's words in there. And if you serve, if that's your gift, then he says, serve by the strength that God supplies. So, do it as God enables you and how God enables you. But again, it's, it's, for, it's for, the, for the body. Um, part of loving one another, serving one another. Uh, just, just like he's saying in verse 10, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another. Now, again, verse 11. I want to get the end of this in with it. So let me go back there. Whoever speaks as one who speaks, or whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that. So now we're getting to the goal. Peter's saying, "This is why. Look, time is short. Here we are at the end. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled. Be sober-minded." Why? Because we, we've got a goal in view. And this is it, verse 11, last part of verse 11. In order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To Him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. So we're to do these things in order that God may be glorified. Now, there's, there's the goal. It's the goal of the Christian life and all that we do to glorify God. So um, whether we eat, drink, whether we speak, serve, do it for the glory of God so that God is glorified through Jesus Christ. You know, Jesus um, said to the disciples that the, they'll know, the world will know you're my, you're my disciples because... You love one another. So that's, that's how that works out. And God is glorified in the, in the process. All right, let me... Um, are there any comments on that so far? I've been doing a lot of talking here, so give you give you opportunity. Let me, let me give you some... Um, I, w- I was looking at this today. Um, I'm going to give you a few verses here just to show <coughs> that the reason this is... Our goal, all right, in other words, to glorify God, is because this is God's goal. God's ultimate goal in all that He does is to preserve and display His own glory. Now, I was looking at this uh, 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 book today by John Piper as I was thinking about some of these things, and, and um, I'm going to give you a little bit of this list here. It's, it's long. I won't, I won't go through all of it, but... Uh, but just the fact that it's long tells you that the, there's a lot to say about this in the Scripture. So I'm going to give you some, some examples that he, he gives here. And the idea is this, that God is seeking to glorify himself in all that he does. Um, God's ultimate goal, and this is, these are Piper's words here, God's ultimate goal is to uphold and display the glory of, of his name. Now, here here are some texts. First, he says he created us for his glory. And here's Isaiah 43, 
verses 6 and 7. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the end of the earth, everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory. Now there, you know, you, you, you go back and look at that passage in Isaiah. He's talking about the, the children of Israel, but, but, uh, but I think by implication, um, that certainly uh, extends to all of us. We're created for the glory of God. He called Israel for his glory. Isaiah 49.3, You are my servant Israel, in whom I will be glorified. Jeremiah 13.11, I made the whole house of Israel and the whole house of Judah cling to me, says the Lord. I like that. <laughs> I, made, I made the whole house of Israel and the whole house of Judah cling to me, he says. That they might be for me a people, a name, a praise, and a glory. Again, that's Jeremiah 13, 11. Um, he rescued, Egypt, uh, rescued Israel from Egypt. Psalm 106, uh, verses 7 and 8. Our fathers, when they were in Egypt, Egypt, did not consider thy wonderful works, but rebelled against the Most High at the Red Sea. Yet he saved them for his name's sake, that he might make known his mighty Power. Interesting, isn't it? He saved them. Here, he, not for their sake, although it, that's part of it, is for their sake. But but the ultimate thing is for His sake, for His name's sake. That is that He is glorified. God uh, gave Israel victory in Canaan for the glo- for the glory of His name. Second um, Samuel seven verse twenty three. What other nation on earth is like thy people Israel, whom God went to redeem to be his people, making himself a name and doing for them great and terrible things by driving out before his people a nation and its God. So, um, making for himself a name. And, and there, there again, there's our, our commission to make his name known, right? Not, not our own. You know, you think about the, the, the Tower of Babel. And uh, what, was, what was motivating those people who built the Tower of Babel? Self-glory, right? They wanted to make a name, not for God, but for themselves. And so God um, con- confounded their languages and sent them on their way, destroyed their, uh, their efforts there. Then, go to another one here. Jesus warned that not seeking God's glory makes faith impossible. Jesus warned that not seeking God's glory makes faith impossible. John 5, 44. Here's what Jesus said to the Jews there. How can you believe who seek glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God. Jesus said he answers pr- prayer so that God would be glorified. John fourteen thirteen, Whatever you ask in my name, I will do it, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. God forgives our sin for his own sake. Isaiah forty three twenty five. I I am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. 
For thy name's sake, O Lord, pardon my guilt, for it is great. That's Psalm 25, 11. Pardon my guilt for thy name's sake. Um, Jesus will fill us with the fruits of righteousness for God's glory. Philippians 1, 11. It is my prayer that you be filled with the fruits of righteousness which come through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Now let's, let's consider that one for a minute <clears throat> with uh, what we were just reading in 1 Peter. Here, here in Philippians 1.11, here again, these are the words of Paul praying for the Philippian church. It is my prayer that you be, that you be filled with the fruits of righteousness which come through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Now, Peter in 1 Peter 4 says, um, essentially, he wants us to do what is right, do righteousness, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. So, so it's really, you got the same concept there, um, worded in different ways. And then uh, finally here, let me give you the flip side of it here. What, what is the... What is the essence of sin? I would say I would say this: it is to fail to glorify God. <clears throat> in fact, let me let me just give you what Paul says in, in Romans one. In fact, we'll look at a couple of verses there. Romans one. Also, um, I'm going to read Romans. Romans one. Let me let me give you this one too, which everybody knows, I'm sure. But uh, let's have this in mind when we look at Romans one. Romans three twenty three. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So we've all fallen short. I think that's what Paul is saying. You know, that in other words. What is sin? It's to fall short of the glory of God. If, if we measured up to the glory of God, that, that, would, that would mean being sinless. Anything short of that, falling short of God's glory, God, you think of God Himself as the standard, His own righteousness as the standard, anything short of that um, is sin. And everybody's a sinner because we've all fallen short of the glory of God. And with that in mind, here's, some, here's Paul in Romans 1, verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For His invisible attributes, namely His eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in, in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, 
but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools, verse 23, and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Um, So they devalued, and this is what every sinner does, they, they devalued God's infinite worth, devalued God, and exchanged Him um, for something um, of no value. Exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images, in this case he's talking about idols that they made, and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, and the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. So rather than worship the one that they're created to worship, um, they worship the creation of their own hands. Exchange the truth of God for a lie. Exchange the glory of God for images. Okay, Habakkuk 2.14. I'm going to close with this. Habakkuk 2.14. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Now, he appears to be looking ahead to an an eschatological event, you know, in time after after, um, Jesus returns. But I think, you know, you get, it's just like many other things. You get you get a foreshadowing, just like now. We, when we talk about the kingdom of God, well, the fullness of it, you know, we won't know until Jesus returns and um, we are in our glorified state and we, we no more have to, have to deal with sin and so forth. But we're already, in another sense, we're already in. And we've got all that foreshadowed. In fact, when Jesus was... Um, going about his earthly ministry and healing, healing lepers, healing lame people, giving deaf hearing and blind their vision. That's what he was doing. He was giving a taste of what lies ahead um, in glory, what lies ahead uh, at the end of the age. Well, I think we see that... Too with with uh, with creation in this sense. When God created man, he he commanded Adam and Eve be fruitful and multiply. And I think the the idea there was what Habakkuk's talking about here: fill the earth with the glory of God. Because we're told he created man in his own image. So in other words, he made he made little reflections of himself that would image his glory. And then he says, now fill the earth. Fill the earth. Very similar to what Habakkuk is saying here. But you know the story. 
Adam and Eve sinned before, in fact, before they had the first child, right? They fell. Sin and death enters the world. But we still, as, as, um, as marred as it, as it may be, we still bear the image of God. So there's one sense in which uh, there's at least a foretaste of this going on now in the church age because as, as people are coming into the kingdom... The earth is being filled with the glory of God. People who are restored to right relationship <clears throat> with God. And I think that's part of the, uh, in fact, I think that's a major part of, uh, of the Great Commission, what Jesus has in mind there. Take, take the gospel to all nations. Why? Because as we do, as we carry the gospel out, other people are come into the kingdom, and little by little, the earth is filled with little Christ, Christians, um, so the little by little, the earth is filled with the glory of God. And then when Christ returns, of course, the fullness of all of this is going to happen, and which is, again, what, I, what uh, Habakkuk has in view here. Then the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the seas. So it won't just be specks here everywhere, but the knowledge of the glory of the Lord covering, covering the whole earth. Now that's that's God's goal. That's, that was His goal in creation, again revealed in in uh, creating man in His own image, and revealed in the mandate that He gives. You know, go go, be fruitful, multiply, and that's that's still His goal. That's where He's headed. Eventually, all of the earth is going to be filled with the knowledge of the glory of God. So, meanwhile, Peter, Paul. The rest of the New Testament writers, the rest of the biblical writers, are saying, um, for us, for the Christians, we're to, we're to live that out as God, as God gifts us, like Peter said here. As God graces us, we're to live that out here and now because we're citizens of that kingdom. So, Peter essentially says the same thing Paul does. Whatever you do, eat, drink, Speak, serve, <laughs> do it all for the glory of God. Do it all for the glory of God. Any comments? Yes, ma'am. notice it too, don't you? I mean, like you say. I mean. Hmm. Amen. Amen. Where'd you go this past Sunday? I was thinking you were at a Bulls this weekend. Beaumont, okay. I was at the Hampshire 
Amen. Amen. right <laughs> and you know th- th- that yeah And, you know, li- living for the glory of God, of course, this is, I guess, easy for me to say standing here right now, but uh, in all of this comfort, but living for the glory of God is, is something that, that you can do, that we can do anytime, anywhere. It's, it's not something that depends on con- conditions being right. So, I mean, so that one goal is, is, is always applicable. And, and uh, of course, you know, I've, I've read some amazing testimonies, people like Corey Ten Boom or, you know, whoever. You, you read some amazing testimonies of people. David Brainerd, you were talking about the other day. You read some amazing testimonies of people who have been in some uh, horrific situations. And, but they, you know, by God's grace, that, that part, they kept that focus and that part didn't change. You know, just live for the glory of God. Paul, Paul did that when he was in prison just like he did it, you know, when he was sitting in a church house meeting somewhere. So, so that, that's one thing. They can never, they, they can never, there's nothing they can strip from us that would hinder us from, from living out that goal. Yeah. Amen. Well, let's pray. 
Father, again, we thank you. Thank you for your word. And Father, um, we pray. We, we thank you for the ways, you, ways in which you've gifted all of us. And we do pray for uh, your wisdom uh, that we may live this out and speak for the edification of those around us. Lord, serve uh, in the same way for, for the for the well uh, for the well-being edification of those around us and Lord uh, just teach us to do all that we do for your honor and glory in Jesus name amen